Good afternoon. Welcome to the library. My name is Tish Hayes. I'm one of the librarians here. And I'm excited to welcome you to this talk. Um, it is part of our One Book, One College events series. Um, and that text is Ms. Marvel. So if you haven't had a chance to take a look at that, I recommend it. One of the themes that we highlight in that book is the theme of immigration. So I'm pretty thrilled to be able to welcome Dr. Dilal Katsiafikas, Assistant Professor of Educational Psychology at UIC. Um, she's going to be talking today. Um, the title of her talk is This is How We Resist, Understanding the Civic Engagement of Immigrant Origin College Students in Post-Trump U.S. So this talk is going to draw on her research, which focuses on exploring the social development of immigrant origin youth with regards to the development of multiple identities and social and academic engagement. And recent research and publications have explored the concerns of undocumented students on college campuses. So I'm really thrilled that she is here to share her experience with us today. I had her as a professor at UIC, and I know that she's an amazing speaker and a great facilitator of conversation, so I'm really looking forward to the event and hope that you um, enjoy it as well. So if you have questions, clarifying questions, please ask them throughout the event, and then if we're gonna hold like the bigger questions to the end, so when you do have a question, I'll be able to get you with the microphone here, okay? So thank you, Dalal. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today, and I'm hoping to bring into greater focus a topic that's been under-researched. Um, and the title of my talk today is, This is How We Resist, Understanding the Civic Engagement of Immigrant Origin College Students in Post-Trump U.S. I'm going to go through some of my uh, findings that I've had the pleasure of um, taking part in research around for the past 10 years to kind of lead us to uh, this topic for uh, us to discuss today. So before I start, I want to just think about who immigrant origin students in the United States are. They're a growing population in the U.S., as many of you may already know. There are currently 20 million emerging adults in this country, which translates to one in four 16 to 25-year-olds and one in three 18 to 30-year-olds in the United States. So a sizable proportion of those who are uh, emerging into adulthood. We also know that community colleges serve as the pr uh, primary stop in post-secondary education for immigrant origin students, many of whom will go on to four-year institutions, but um, community colleges serve as this primary place for students to arrive in these types of educational settings. For undocumented students, we know that only one in 10 undocumented 16 to 24-year-olds enrolled in, the, uh, in college in the US uh, represents the really stiff pipeline that we see many obstacles um, within their lifespan, but leading up to applying to and entering colleges. For undocumented youth, we know that there's an important developmental moment marked by liminality, feeling like they might not belong here in the United States, neither to the uh, country they came from. They're facing many barriers here, including discrimination, stigmatization, and a complicated sense of belonging. And although not solely a Latino issue, migrants from Mexico, Central and South America are disproportionately affected by exclusionary migration laws in this country. So we know there's diversity within the undocumented population, yet also a number of Latino students are experiencing these issues. So in putting together this talk, I wanted to weave together a few different strands of research, as I said. And I'm going to start with um, some of the work that I did in New York City with community college students from immigrant backgrounds about messages regarding adulthood. 
Then I'll move into describing how uh, immigrant students contribute to our society with a study both based in New York City and a national study of undocumented students before discussing um, resistance during contentious times with a sample from here in Chicago. So to start, I wanted to think about cultural messages about adulthood with community college students. And because of time restraints, I'm not going to get into all the details of this, and I'm happy to answer questions at the end. But if there is something that you'd like further clarification, please do let me know, and I'll be happy to answer that. I started with some really uh, basic questions. What criteria do immigrant origin emerging adults identify as necessary and important to achieve adulthood? And how do they describe these criteria and make meaning out of them? I was a part of a larger research study, the Research on Immigrants in Community Colleges study that took place, as I said, in New York City uh, with 18 to 25 year old college students, community college students in New York City. We had a multi-phase, uh, multi-method study where we took um, a lot of time kind of observing what was going on in this community college settings and took um, some participants into focus groups. We also had an online survey with about 650 participants where uh, participants answered questions like, complete the following sentence, I know I'm an adult when? And then we dove into some qualitative interviews from that sample of survey takers to go more in depth to understand what their perspectives were from a more narrative uh, method. So of those 645 participants who took part with the online survey, nearly half were female and they were roughly 20 years old on average. We had first, second, and third generation students. First generation being those who arrived to the US themselves, second generation born here in the US to parents who had migrated, and third generation whose grandparents had migrated to the United States. They represented a variety of uh, racial and ethnic backgrounds that were representative of community college students within New York City. 39% were Latino, 27% were black or from African countries, 13% uh, were white, 12% as multiracial or other, and 9% as Asian. So like I said, I asked these participants to fill in the, uh, the following sentence with whatever came to mind. You know you're an adult when? So each of them typed in their responses, and I used a word cloud generator to demonstrate these findings. Word clouds uh, show the most frequent words as being larger than those that are um, less frequently, which are represented as smaller. So these were the responses. And as you can see, responsibilities really came to the forefront. When talking about, you know you're an adult when, it really was about responsibilities. I was interested in what kind of responsibilities these students were describing as part of their daily lives as adults. And this is where I turned to those qualitative interviews. And students said things like, you know you're an adult when you can do whatever you can do to help your family, whatever it is, that's kind of it. So helping family was an important social responsibility. Another student said, I feel like you're an adult when you take responsibility for your own actions and you work towards bettering yourself and towards helping others around you. And another student said, it's when you can carry yourself out as a person and like contribute to society. That's when you're really an adult. So here we see a picture of responsibilities that goes way beyond the individual. 
and is really focused on not only contributing to family and others, but society at large. And for these immigrant origin students, these social responsibilities were really critical to their adult identities. So that led me to ask more questions about uh, engaging and contributing to family and community. And when I'm talking about this type of contribution, it's something that's uh, in many ways a part of becoming an adult. I'm talking about contribution that involves a value of undertaking a role to contribute to social well-being in the form of contributions to family and community. And with regards to community, this can look like community responsibilities, or another word could be civic engagement. And we see that there are significant increases as immigrant youth are emerging into adulthood, that civic engagement or these community responsibilities can really come to the forefront. And they serve a number of critical functions for positive development. And like I said, they're really central to the ways that young people are describing their adult identities and defining adulthood. So I began to ask questions about how are immigrant origin students contributing to their communities and what, what role do these uh, contributions play in their lives? I took some responses from that same survey from community college students from immigrant backgrounds in New York City, but this time I had also collected a new set of data that were focused on uh, Latino undocumented students across the United States. And this was a national online survey focusing on the college experience of undocumented undergraduates on various campus settings. As you can see, that we had public community college students uh, representing 45% of that sample, public college or university students representing a similar amount, and very few attending private colleges or universities. Similar in age, the average age was 21 and a half years old, and we had students who were representing 31 states in the United States um, and who had migrated to the US roughly around the age of six um, on average. So I asked a, uh, a measure of community responsibilities in terms of what types of activities were they engaged in regularly? Were they mentoring young people? Were they volunteering in a place of worship or community organization? Were they engaging in a cause that they cared about? And with the community college sample in New York City, we found that three out of four participants, or 75%, were engaged in these types of community activities on a regular basis. And when we looked at the undocumented student sample, we found that nearly everyone, 96%, were engaged in these community responsibilities on a regular basis. The types of activities I broke down here further. So we can see engaging in a cause that they cared about was something that particularly undocumented students were um, doing more so. Translating for community members, mentoring young people in their community, advocating, community organizing, volunteering, taking part in a protest or demonstration, or taking care of elders or children in their community were something that was uh, really central to these types of um, behaviors that they're doing on a regular basis. We also collected some um, interviews as well, and we saw that there were quieter ways or smaller ways that young people were contributing. In Valeria's case, for example, she talks about not wanting to take part in a protest because she felt like it was too anonymous. People wouldn't get to know her story. And in fact, she recounts a moment where she shared that she was undocumented with one of her friends on campus. 
And she says, uh, her friend's response after she disclosed her status was, you know what, you made me change my view with undocumented people. I used to be like, oh, why do I have to pay taxes for them to go to school? I feel like now I'm changing my mindset. And Valeria spoke about how she felt like this type of activity had a bigger impact. She said, I feel like that has a bigger impact than me just holding something, She's referring to a protest like a sign, because they're not going to know who I am. You know, but if I tell them personally and they get to know me, maybe they would be like, maybe the legislation is wrong. So these types of contributions are not just happening in these big ways where uh, young people are involved in all sorts of regular activities, but in these small interpersonal interactions where they're educating others or trying to contribute to mindset changes on this individual level. So. That leads me to the current study that I've uh, been doing for the past two years. And this was focused on the resistance of immigrant origin college students. I used a participatory action research framework to uh, frame this study. And what that means is that we had community members be co-researchers on this project. So it's not just me standing up there and saying, this is what I think is important, but we have immigrant students from colleges who are trying to understand priorities of questions about um, what would be most important to understand in this current historical moment. And Participatory Action Research, or PAR, uh, has a few tenets. One, that there's a diversity of viewpoints that are placed in sociopolitical and historical and cultural context. Secondly, is that there's this interactive link between researchers and participants. So like I said, many of the participants were actually also researchers on this study. And thirdly, that there's community involvement in methodological and programmatic decisions, so that the study itself is being designed by community members. This type of framework also um, suggests that we want to make some sort of transformational change. And we set out to use this PAR framework to develop a research project that was meaningful to immigrant origin students on the campus that I'm from, UIC. We were uh, a team of undergraduate and graduate students and myself from various immigration and documentation statuses designed um, a qualitative focus group interview and collected data. And the goals were not only to collect this data and analyze it and produce some sort of scientific report, but to make change and take action. We provided policy recommendations for the campus community and held a campus community event with artistic and scientific interpretations of these data. And I'll share some of those um, artistic interpretations with you later today. But the main questions we were interested in were how are immigrant origin students engaged with their communities during the socio-political moment? And how do they conceptualize and enact resistance? My team came together right before the 2016 election. So these undergrad and graduate students uh, formed a group and we actually were meeting throughout the, uh, leading up to the election and then the day after the election we met to really discuss what had been going on. We designed these questions together to try to understand what was going to happen for immigrant students on campus and what we needed to know to better serve them in terms of policy. So we collected data from 43 participants who were uh, about 20 and a half years old. 
the majority of these participants were female. We had students who had migrated to the U.S. themselves, but also those who had parents who migrated to the United States. They represented a variety of ethnic backgrounds. Okay, so the Spirit of Resistance was the event that we held together. And I want to share with you um, some of the findings that this collaborative team put together for this event. So let me see if I can get this. Who am I? What is community? Where do I fit in? What motivates me? How do I take action? What is civic engagement? How do I resist? How do I resist? How do I resist? In this study, participants shared similar ideas about their definition of community. The vast majority defined it as a group of people that share something in common, such as their racial, ethnic, or cultural backgrounds, gender, social, and peer network, religion, or geographic communities. According to participants, this shared experience or identity fosters a connection between multiple individuals and creates a sense of community. One student defined community as a network or system of people who share a common thing, and another defined it as a community is like a group of people that share something. There were multiple communities that participants reported being a part of. These most commonly include EYC, social communities, and religious communities. Students who were involved in EYC choose to do so through their classes and clubs. Their social community includes their friends, families, and people with similar cultural backgrounds. Religious communities can be reflected in the clubs they choose to join on campus, as well as through their active participation at their temple, mosque, or church, and so on. Uh, the specific ways in which participants engage in the communities vary, but they frequently explain how their engagement stems from having a genuine and active interest in the communities they identify. For instance, students reported being aware of the current events that are taking place within their community. They also describe participating in events, whether it be cultural, shared language, or familial, or residing in the same neighborhoods as long as the community had a shared interest or common goal. Through these activities of engagement, students reported a sense of belonging with the particular community that they reported being a part of. Family is an integral part for most, if not all, immigrant youth. There is a poll by families on students to help with day-to-day -day life that causes a stressor that the child just doesn't know how to handle. They feel a sense of obligation to the people that raise them and balancing school, family, and sometimes even work never bodes well for the student. They deal with an onslaught of demands and any unanswered questions splinters that bridge between the older immigrant generation and the younger Americanized generation. We see this primarily in the Asian American community and the Latinx community. Parents need help with the household and sometimes depending on financial status, need help with payments and need help raising younger siblings. In turn, this places a student in a very, very difficult position. However, there is no lack of love in these families, but rather just that lack of understanding. Families still love their children, but with that lack of understanding and that culture clash, tensions can run high. 
UIC immigrant youth students still rely on their families for support and recognize their family and people of similar backgrounds as their communities. Students from immigrant backgrounds rarely feel that they've accomplished the highest standards that their families have set for them. There is a constant battle between the student and the reality of this competitive lifestyle to fulfill the expectations that are forcefully placed upon them. Due to this miscommunication, there is a constant generational gap between students and their parents. In this gap, there are multiple situations that take place in the student's life that can impact their physical and mental ability. There are serious illnesses such as depression and anxiety that are caused from difficult living conditions such as stress and grief, something that is oftentimes ignored or looked over from the older generations of immigrant backgrounds. Our findings have shown very strong feelings of guilt from students, particularly of Asian and Latinx origin. The guilt seems to stem from very strong bonds to their families. The participants seem to feel some sort of moral obligation to support their families and help out in whatever way possible at home, something that they need to give up when they come to college. On top of this guilt of not being able to help out at home, many feel that them being at school and trying to get an education is something that their parents don't quite understand. Their parents feel that the only way being at school will be worth the sacrifice is if their children gain some sort of wealth in the end. This constant push and pull between trying to please themselves and live up to their parents' expectations, accompanied by the guilt of not being able to be at home, appears to cause a lot of stress and mental health issues for these students. A concurrent theme that I noticed throughout these accounts was concerning mental health. Most of these students expressed the shared concern that in Latinx households, mental health is either unacknowledged or overlooked. In one account, a student even discussed how these issues weren't real until they happened to them. New policies that the new administration has introduced has compelled some of the participants to engage in overt ways of resistance, such as protesting. Some of the participants expressed being first-time protesters joining the Women's March and the Day Without Immigrants March this year. However, the majority of participants felt that there are multiple ways that students at UAC engage in resistance, including attending college, obtaining good grades, and working hard as a way to validate their parents' sacrifices. As one of the participants shared, resistance depends on how you carry it out, how those around you carry it out. Because for me, resistance, it basically protests, but also like really taking care of yourself, grounding yourself, surrounding yourself with people you love. And I think that's really it. Surrounding yourself with love is resistance. So these, uh, this film was produced by uh, the students who were co-researchers on this project. And each of them had their own uh, specific ways that they wanted to understand what was going on for immigrant students post-Trump US. And trying to understand um, everything from mental health to these community responsibilities to what resistance looked like resulted in this film. They wanted uh, these findings to go beyond just the scientific and to be able to share pieces of art alongside those scientific findings. So each of those pieces of art that you saw were uh, created by the student co-researchers on the project to kind of illuminate some of these findings. But I want to take us back together to think about um, some of the conclusions we can draw here. 
First, immigrant origin students really value highly uh, contribution as they come of age and the ways in which they're engaging in their communities has really important implications for the people they will become. But more importantly, I would argue, there are implications for the type of society we will become. In many ways, uh, these college students are going beyond what the stereotypes about immigrant students are by contributing not only to their families and communities, but to society as a whole and really raise questions about what does it take to be a productive member of our society. I would argue that uh, bridging sensibilities, as Danielle Allen refers to them, are what's really critical to being a productive member of society. And we're seeing these young people bridging their communities into their schools, what they're learning in their schools back into their communities by mentoring young people, by advocating for people and their families and, by, and their communities, and by changing minds one by one about their status, about the stereotypes that people might have or hold about um, immigrant students. And more importantly, they're bridging these uh, fractures that we're seeing emerge after Donald Trump was elected. For many of these uh, fractures were present before he was president and have only grown stronger. So as we're seeing young people doing this work of holding together these fragmented parts of society, they're uh, really taking on a huge challenge that we're facing as we move into this next election cycle um, and into the America that we're seeing take shape right now. So with that, I wanted to uh, thank you all for being such attentive listeners and see if you had any questions that I could answer about this work. Thank you. If you have questions, just raise your hand and I'll get you the mic. Hi. Just a quick question. Yeah. Is there any research, have you come across any research to see, um, has there been more civic engagement since November 2016 than there was before, mm -hmm. even in like that, you know, the protests and so on like that? Have you found that with your young people? Like how big of a difference has it been? That's a great question. So we haven't been able to measure before and after um, because part of what we, we were designing the study at during the election uh, results and then right as Trump was inaugurated was when we collected data. But we have some interesting findings. Some students talked about um, feeling like they were really driven to be now a part of protest to take on these overt forms of resistance um, after the election results. Others, particularly those who are most marginalized, felt really um, a great deal of apprehension about taking part in types of overt behaviors like that. So we saw many undocumented students um, feel like it's not something I can go out in the street and protest right now because I'm concerned about not only uh, violence towards me and my family, but the legal implications of that. So for many students, we saw a heightened sense of I really want to get out there now and for others a real sense of fear um, of their for not only themselves but for their families as well. Other questions? 
I've got a quick one. Um, so is your research ongoing? Are you still working with these um, young people or has it expanded? Yes, so we're currently still um, wading through some of our data. So with these uh, results from the focus groups, we then realized that students were feeling pretty uncomfortable talking in a group about some of these issues. So we moved on to individual interviews and then had a larger survey. Um, part of this project is that we are um, collecting data um, in ways that have been prioritized by our community member researchers, but we're also analyzing data in that way. So that often means that it takes a really long time to analyze that data, to um, bring in community perspectives about what we're actually seeing represented there. And so students are doing things like um, reading through these transcripts of interviews and focus groups and trying to contextualize them with what's been going on in our society. It's also pretty tricky since things had changed so rapidly during those first few months of the Trump administration with new um, executive orders taking place, new bans, new um, legal implications for people. So all of that is uh, being taken into account now as we wade through this data. Hi. Hi. Um, and this may be a personal question, mm -hmm. but um, what kind of motivated you to focus on this area um, of research, um, just kind of under the umbrella of um, immigrant students? That's a great question. So I grew up in an immigrant community where everyone um, was either recently arrived or had family members who were coming over. So when I was in high school, I was really interested in um, I worked in our high school to help bridge some of the English learning for adults in our community. And by the time I got to college, probably dating myself, is when 9-11 uh, had just happened. So a lot of stuff had shifted, particularly for Arab and Muslim students. Um, and I saw how discrimination was really coming to the forefront in their lives um, and in my own life. So thinking about how I could do something to address the discrimination and stereotypes that were there, I found research to be uh, an important way to kind of bridge what was going on in schools and universities with what was happening on the ground. Um, that turned into a larger expanded umbrella of immigrant origin students are feeling a lot of these same pressures, a lot of these questions about belonging, um, uh, what it means to be an adult in our society versus in our families and communities. So this area has really um, been something that has taken on personal importance, but also with the students that I've worked with throughout my time as an educator, it's been at the forefront. Um, I started school in New York, then graduate school in LA, and now I'm here in Chicago, three of the biggest immigrant receiving communities that we have, or cities. Um, so in each space, it's really been the population I've seen with some of the most uh, challenges, but also some of the most internal resources that they have to share. In like the literature review and your research, what have you found have been some of the motivating beyond, so we under, you know, we understand current circumstances in the country, but what part of it have you found have also been, because a lot of these immigrant populations you've worked with come from very community-based cultures, mm -hmm. 
communal-based cultures, which tend to instill a lot more um, about caring for family and caring for mm. community on a whole. So how much of it you think also, not just what's happening in circumstances mm -hmm. that's affecting them directly, but how much of it too is, you think, out of their cultural upbringing and the values that were instilled in them compared to like mm -hmm. more individualistic um, cultures which tend to be um, based here in the U.S., which that is not necessarily as much valued or appreciated. Yes, and I think uh, that's exactly a huge piece of this, that this is a family, um, a family and cultural value that gets passed down. So another strand of my research has been asking those questions of where are these values really stemming from? And we've seen um, what we've been talking about as collective contribution. So it's not just I as an individual feel like I want to contribute, it's that my family contributes to me, my community contributes to me, and I contribute back. That's how we understand adulthood. And that really stands in contrast to how um, a lot of mainstream US uh, ways of seeing adulthood, but also how institutions might understand adulthood. So part of what my work was um, in community colleges in New York City was to see um, how faculty members viewed adulthood. And we found that there was a really stark difference where faculty members were saying these young people aren't adults because they're, they've got too many family responsibilities. They can't stand on their own. Um, and so seeing that difference really and trying to bridge that difference was uh, part of the work we were trying to do together. But I think you're absolutely right. It's a cultural and uh, family value and community value that's much more collectivistic than it is individualistic. Great question. There's a, a couple of um, resources that I would recommend, and some are kind of scientific readings that reframe this um, ability to, and I, I noticed the title out there was about code switching, and this code switching between cultural expectations is something that requires a lot of cognitive flexibility and is actually a really big asset, not only when we're thinking about uh, cognition, but in being flexible to adjust to the demands that um, young people might have of them in these different types of settings. So a reframing of that sort, I think, is really important in terms of a discussion amongst family members and, or uh, faculty members and administrators. I also think um, there's a lot of work that's been done recently on uh, what, can, uh, what can young people do in terms of promoting um, a sense of what they need on campus and doing something like this participatory action research project helps to find that more locally. So um, a lot of what we did here with the last study I presented um, promoted some policy recommendations for UIC in particular. 
And the students who worked with me were really interested in um, how can we make recommendations specifically for this campus. And we produced a small policy um, recommendations report that we then presented to the administration. And part of what they asked for was we need more faculty who represent who we are and what we look like and who can understand and advocate for us um, with amongst their peers. We also need to have um, a way to bridge families into community colleges and college settings so that um, because for so many young people their contributions can be seen as I'm going to college and this is um, an act of my whole family. So I don't know if that's something that resonates with all of you, but I know it was for um, many of the students I've been working with that it's not just they're going to college, their family is sending them to college um, and they're getting the resources that that student is sharing back at home. So finding a way to bridge family into the college setting can be really critical as well. Um, lastly, there have been some really great novels that have come out to kind of highlight uh, some of these from a more humanities perspective and arts perspective that highlights the kind of challenges and also resources that young people are bringing with them. Any other questions or comments? I'd love to hear your thoughts too. Anyone have a comment? You have a few more minutes left, so don't feel rushed. I'm just wondering, considering kind of the climate and, and mm -hmm. how things have become so much more uh, maybe polarized mm -hmm. over the last couple of years, where do you see this research going? What would you like to do next or what kind of things would you like to explore going forward? That's a great question and um, something that, that's a question I've been asking in partnership with my youth co-researchers and um, a big issue that's come up is safety, both personal safety, physical safety on campuses, um, but also getting to and from campus. So students have um, really raised that issue as something that needs more attention within our own work. We've also taken this work into the area of um, understanding microaggressions on campus, understanding um, how they operate within classrooms and the impact that they might have. So although they're called microaggressions, they can often have a large and lasting impact on young people's lives. Um, we've also tried to really understand the idea of resistance from a lot more holistic perspective. So what are we missing um, if we just look at how young people are engaging in protests. And Valeria's case that we presented um, kind of highlights those, as she said, quieter ways that young people are um, contributing and resisting. So trying to understand the spectrum of what young people are doing in terms of uh, resisting these, um, not only negative reflections of them, but also resisting the, um, the legal ramifications that are impacting their lives. Any other questions? Okay, well, 
Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank uh, you all very much. Some more round of applause. Thanks. Thanks for attending, and if you do have.